Welcome in everyone to Broadcaster Hour. It is high noon on the East Coast, 11 a.m. Central, and today we've got the first and certainly not the last all-SEC edition of the show. I'm Roger Hoover with you in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. We're joined on the far side of the screen by Kyle Crooks from Gainesville, Florida, and in the center of the screen from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, we've got the voice of the LSU Tigers, Chris Blair. Chris, how's it going, man? Doing, doing great, man. Uh, hanging in there, doing the best we can, like everybody. And uh, I couldn't be happier to be on with, you know, two of my favorite schools, Alabama and Florida. This is exciting. <laughs> well, you've got some good memories of uh, Alabama and Florida from this past year. And kind of I'll start with that. Uh, right now, everybody is kind of looking back at sports, whether it's great moments in sports history, a lot of rebroadcast. How nice is it for you to look back at your last football season knowing it was a perfect season for the LSU Tigers and really it had unfolded like a dream with everything kind of aligning the way you would have loved to have had it? You know, it's it's interesting, um, you know, because having this time off, uh, you know, still working, but working from home and spending more time in the house. Um, and as you say, everybody kind of looking back to, uh, you know, great sport moments, whatever their team happens to be, whatever league it happens to be. Um, you know, I think it probably gave those of us who were along for the ride uh, maybe a, a little more time or an earlier time to kind of look back on what a magical season it was. I mean, that's hyperbole of course because we all said it was magical and it was all you know meant to be but you know when you really sit back and look at what happened over last fall um with the stories of of joe burrow who you know a lot of people had kind of written off after uh, being unable to to get the job at ohio state uh, certainly there's volumes of stories about people writing off head coach ed ogeron um you know getting this job and being able to take him to the heights um, Justin Jefferson, a two-star coming out of high school, you know, goes in the first round. So there's so many stories around this team that I think for me it was an opportunity going back and, and putting together some of the pieces we have for LSU over the last month or so um, to kind of really be able to, to take it in. Because a lot of times, as you guys know, um, you're moving so fast and, you know, you go from football to, to basketball and then for some of us right into baseball and then you know, if you get to the College World Series, the end of June comes, you have July and August, and you really need to kind of take care of some of the things at home and, and, and spend some time with your family. And then all of a sudden you're back on the merry-go-round in, in late August, and you don't really get that time to look back. You know, you people will ask you about it from time to time. But I, I've really enjoyed going back and, and looking at the games, looking at certain plays, watching guys that, you know, if you'd asked us in September of last year, would they be a draft pick? Would it be a first-round draft pick? We probably wouldn't have guessed that. And, you know, a story like Patrick Queen. So to go back and, as it's happening, you're describing the games. That's what our job is. You don't really get to take it in sometimes. So that's been, I think, you know, the most enjoyable for me is to look back on it because I enjoyed every second of, of riding the bus, riding the plane, being around the team, being in the team hotel. And then you get to the game, and a lot of times there's so much minutia and you got so much going on that you don't really get to enjoy that part. Um, so this time I think it's been good to go back and enjoy it a little bit more. Chris, what are some things that you learned about yourself as a broadcaster, knowing that you had essentially the biggest game of the week every single week with this LSU team? You had the unexpected result of what Joe Burrow and this offense was doing. How did you grow as a broadcaster this past year, knowing just the attention that was around your broadcast every single week? You know, I, I think for me it was that what I've been doing for, for years, um, you know, going on almost 20 years now, 
um, at different levels, the, the preparation that, that many people that I looked up to and still look up to today, you know, had, I'd always ask them, you know, even when I was doing high school games, I would ask, uh, when I worked at Clemson, I asked Jim Phillips, the late great Jim Phillips, you know, how he prepared. He had a different way than what I do, um, but, but he talked about the process. And so I applied that many, many years ago. And there's been so many over the years. And I found that this year, sometimes you try to outthink yourself and you say, okay, this, this could be a big year. You know, everybody's talking about Joe Burrow. I've seen him at practice. Uh, these receivers don't drop passes. This could be special. So should I go into it each week differently, knowing that, as you say, you know, it, you know you're going to take on Florida, top 10 matchup. Uh, it's, everybody's going to pay attention to it. Uh, the Auburn game. I mean, the list goes on and on. And what I found was is that there's always a chance to learn, and, and I don't want to say that, but basically what I've been doing uh, for, for all those years and staying disciplined during the week to make sure I had things done at, at the times I wanted to have them done uh, as far as spotting charts and watching film, uh, I, didn't, I didn't change anything. And, uh, you know, that was good. Um, and so I'm not going to change anything. Now, that doesn't mean I can't learn anything. It just means I didn't need to reinvent the wheel from when I was doing high school games, you know, in 1999 through doing 10 seasons at Georgia Southern. Um, you know, if you get too caught up in that this game is big, you need to do it differently or you have to take another approach, I, I think you could, you know, really hurt yourself doing that. So for me, it was just these things that I've learned from these folks that I've been heroes, that have been heroes of mine, uh, and the tidbits of advice I've been given over the years, they served me well, and I didn't need to change that just because it was a, a big season. And going back to some of the uh, early years for you calling high school football, how long did you think it took until you got that rhythm on the air? Because a lot of young broadcasters, when they come out of school, and I think we're all maybe guilty of this, we, we feel like we have the goods right away, and we realize it takes a while to really get that craft uh, closer to perfect. For you, how long did it take to get that really good rhythm on the air, specifically as well with football play-by-play? -play? No, I think it was uh, several seasons. I, I remember starting uh, in 1998 uh, at, at a particular school. I was working as a program director and a, and a, and a salesperson for, for the local radio station. And uh, we wanted to do the, uh, the, the big high school in the city and there were two competing stations and of course both wanted the rights to do the games because it meant a uh, a revenue advantage and i'll never forget my owner at the time said if you want to do these games then you got to go pay for them and it needs to be x amount of revenue and if it's not x amount of revenue we're not fooling with it um so anyway we we, we busted our hump and uh you know we're able to get that number then go to the school secure those rights and that was in 1998. And to say that I was comfortable, uh, you know, I, I had a ball doing it. And I kind of looked around every Friday night and thought, I fooled some people and they've, <laughs> they've given me the keys to this and I have no business driving it. And uh, I'd say it was four seasons. And, you know, it's interesting because 2002, uh, the team went to the state championship, which was in South Carolina, which was held at Williams Bryce Stadium. And it was. Uh, the second biggest division in the state. So it was, it was a pretty good crowd. There probably was, I guess, 30,000 inside, you know, an 80,000 plus stadium. Um, but I'd say that season is when I felt comfortable, uh, again, knowing that when I got to the uh, stadium, I was ready to go. 
Um, you know, I'd say the first three seasons, if I were honest with myself, uh, prior to kickoff, I was still kind of reeling, a little bit nervous that, boy, if anything out of the ordinary happens, I don't know that I'm ready for it. Uh, but I'd say by the fourth season, I felt pretty comfortable. And, you know, at that time, they would give you a roster with, you know, zero through 98, you know, and just the names. Um, you know, we didn't have spotters. Um, and my dad had told me a long time ago, if you're going to do this, you don't call them by the number. So you make sure you call them by name and you make sure you get the name right. Are you going to make mom or grandma or somebody mad? And uh, so, you know, that's a pretty good train, uh, training ground when you're trying to call a football game with 22 players on the field and, and you're, you know, hell bound and determined you're not going to say a number uh, that, you know, the, the pass goes to the left side. You've got to use some, some vernacular to give you some time to scroll down a, a roster and go complete to 81. You don't say 81, you say Jameson or whatever the case may be. So after three or four years of doing that, um, to be honest with you, what I do now is a heck of a lot easier uh, because I've got help around me. But when you can do it that way, I, I think you should feel pretty good. You can do the job. You mentioned your dad and some advice he gave you early on. Just uh, tell us about where you come from and also some of the earliest broadcasting influences. And even when you got into doing some high school football, were you, did you have in mind that you wanted to do major college football play-by-play or be the voice of a major school? You know, I've told this story a bunch. I, I grew up in Hindman, Kentucky, uh, which is in coal mining country, eastern part of the state, which I think in 2010, don't quote me on this, the, the population was 762. And um, my father was involved owning radio stations in that part of the country. And uh, so I grew up in a radio station. Uh, you know, I would, uh, if, if, if mom was gone, then I would go to work with dad. Uh, I've got a scar that's now at the top of my head that came right here above my eye with a, I was running up in the halls at the radio station with a yardstick and uh, yardstick caught the carpet and snapped and went right above my eye. So uh, uh, I, I, I was, I just, I know you can, I used to tell people you could blindfold me, uh, stick me in a van, drop me off and in a radio station. And I would know I was in a radio station. There's just a, I don't know if it's uh, the electric buzz of <laughs> The, the radiation from the transmitters, but I, I just know the inside of a radio station. And uh, really had no plans to get involved in radio at all. Um, you know, I just it was something Dad did. I was around the people that worked for him. Uh, I knew what they did. Uh, after school, I would go sometimes to the studio and throw on the music I wanted to listen to, and I learned enough to use reel-to-reel or cassette or even records at that time. Uh, I learned enough so that I could run the board to listen to what I wanted to listen to. But I had no intentions of being in the business. And frankly, my mother had no intentions of me being in the business either. Um, she knew what, 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 what it took away uh, from our dad being, being home. Um, so when I got into college, uh, you know, I played sports all through school. And when I got to college, um, uh, my dad, we had moved to South Carolina, the upstate of South Carolina. Um, and my dad had said, hey, we need some help doing some high school sports on the weekends. Uh, you'll probably be up to no good on campus. Is there any chance you want to come back and help us? And I thought, well, you know, that, that'll be fun, um, you know, to be around the game again and, uh, you know, kind of be involved. And so I uh, started doing baseball, high school baseball, and did that a couple of times. And then I think the following fall, I did sidelines for my dad's radio station who covered high school football. 
and um, and you know, a couple of weeks went by, and I got a check, and I thought, you know, I haven't worked for dad. I started working for my dad when I was fourteen, but when I went to college, I didn't work for him. And I, and I called and I said, what is the check for? And he said, well, that's for doing the games. And I thought, oh, wow, you pay people. To, I thought that, I thought the guys that did that just enjoyed doing it. Um, uh, and, and don't get me wrong. You know, these guys weren't making tons of money <laughs> doing it. So they, they did love it. But, um, and, and then, you know, being around growing up, I had, I hadn't paid attention to this, but I guess subconsciously I had, um, and I used to go along and tag along with my dad to affiliates day. And when I was growing up in Kentucky, we would have affiliates day for the university of Kentucky. And we would usually either have a lunch or a brunch and, um, they would have Kay Wood Ledford come talk to us or Ralph Hacker would be there. And I just thought those guys were the coolest guys in the room. Um, and even though I was a sports guy and even though I played sports, for some reason, I got more excited talking to a Kay Wood Ledford than I did coach Jerry Claiborne. Um, and I guess that was because all those times with dad, either in the house or in the car, that we didn't watch games on TV in my house. We listened to it, uh, specifically the University of Kentucky. Um, we also went to Affiliates Day for the Cincinnati Reds. And uh, to be around Marty Brenneman and Joe Nuxall as a seven, eight, nine year old, uh, again, knowing that when we were at home, that's what we had on the radio was Reds baseball. Um, you know, I, I just kind of thought those guys were cool. They were dressed in suits. Um, they always knew what to say. They had a little joke. People seemed to just gravitate to them. And so I guess over time, once I realized, wow, you can do this for a living, and I never really had thought about it, um, I asked Dad, I said, do you know anybody at Clemson? Because his station in South Carolina was a Clemson affiliate. And he goes, yeah, I'd deal with this guy or that guy or whoever it was and uh i said okay because i'm going to reach out to him i'm going to tell them if they need anything on game days i'll be there if they want if they need somebody setting up tents if they need somebody to run sound hang the speakers whatever the case may be so eventually i hounded don munson probably for a year and a half and finally don called i think it was like in july and said all right you know, we've got something for you. We need you to come. We got a meeting in early August, and, and we'll put you on the team. And uh, so I did that for four years, uh, and that was after college. And I was working full time and doing high school games on Friday night, and then traveling uh, wherever Clemson was playing on Saturday uh, to be part of the production team. And I wasn't on air. I, I set up the tailgate show. Uh, I ran the board in the booth for Jim Phillips during the games. Uh, I did production in the fifth quarter show, which was getting score updates from teams across the country. And what I learned in that time was I can run a network because I know what it takes to run a network. Now, you need people, uh, but I know how you put it all together. And to me, that was um, that, that was the best education I got was the four years working for Clemson and working for Don, who you know went on to become the voice of, of Clemson. And, um, you know, which I couldn't be happier, um, but, but he taught me a lot. And so I think between my father, uh, just growing up in the radio station, doing obituaries and news reports and weather reports, uh, I used to have to sign on on Saturday morning and Sunday morning at 6 a.m., which really sucks for your high school social calendar. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but, but that plus Clemson, I think, prepared me for, um, for what I do today, and, and that is if – 
you know, the proverbial, you know what, hits the fan. Uh, I can get the booth up and running. I can connect to studio. Uh, I can get to the satellite uplink. Um, I don't have to do those things these days, thankfully, because I got a good team around me. But if worse comes to worse, uh, for a basketball or a baseball broadcast, when I'm pretty much on my own without an engineer, uh, those those experience help me get through it. We'll get on the air. I can assure you that. Well, that's certainly important, and I'm sure that was important as well for your next job with Georgia Southern. A lot of people have talked about your path to LSU, but first of all, let's uh, talk about Georgia Southern. How did you end up getting that job, and what did you learn in your years in Statesboro? <laughs> There's a story. Um, when I started working at Clemson, uh, a lot of the people that work with us on the air went to Clemson. They were former players or uh, you know, just had been around the program. And, and Don Munson went to Appalachian State. And so being young and naive, I kept thinking, how did Don Munson, a mountaineer, end up here as Mr. Clemson doing the pregame show and doing all these events? Uh, Jim Phillips, you know, if he had a conflict, couldn't do a banquet, they would get Don to do it. And um, so I asked our boss at the network, I said, how in the world did you find Don Munson? And he said, well, we got the rights to the uh, – Clemson Network, and we knew we had to assemble a team, and some friends of mine knew Don and said, you should talk to him, and he said, when I called Don, Don basically said, if you're looking for somebody to build your network, run your network, um, all three, call games if you need it, I'm your guy, and Mike Whitaker said to me, because he had the, the gumption to say that, stood out to me, and I said, okay, if you think you can do X, Y, and Z and do it perfectly or good, uh, we'll give you a shot. And so fast forward, I'm running a bunch of radio stations in South Carolina. I'm miserable because I'm not doing anything on the air. I'm, I'm dealing with salespeople and operations people and ownership and investors. And I thought, this is not what I got in the business for. I got a degree in political science, uh, not broadcasting. And... Um, that part of broadcasting didn't appeal to me. So a friend of mine says, hey, I hear Georgia Southern has completely changed their network. Um, they want to build it from the ground up, and uh, they're looking for somebody because they don't have a big budget. They're looking for somebody to do it. So, okay. So I went to my office that next morning. I looked up the athletic director's telephone number, called that number, and to my shocking surprise, the athletic director answered the phone and uh, it was him wasn't wasn't an assistant it was it was him and when he said hello what can i help you with i immediately thought of what don munson said and i said uh mr baker you don't know me from adam's house cat but i understand you're looking to create a, a statewide radio network sell the statewide radio network build the statewide radio network and somebody call the games on the network and i'm your guy and he kind of laughed and said, well, who are you again? <laughs> and I said, you don't know me. but um, And I told him where I was. And he said, well, we, we've got a committee looking at, uh, you know, people to take over as the voice of the Eagles. Um, there's a company who's gotten the, the rights to the uh, uh, radio broadcast. And, uh, and they're looking for somebody as well. So send your stuff in. Send your resume in. And we'll go from there. And um, I want to say that was late March of 2006. 
and I think I got a call in uh, in early May, and they said we'd like for you to come down here, and I said, "Yep, I'll be there." So I, you know, talked my wife into it. Told her we were moving to Savannah, Georgia, which I was a too far off. It's only about fifty minutes to get from Statesboro to Savannah, so it was close enough. It was a suburb, and uh, it was uh, we only had our son at the time, so us three packed up and uh, came to Statesboro and. Uh, lived in a studio apartment she reminds me of this a lot in fact she reminded me of it the other day lived in a studio apartment with one bedroom uh with the baby for uh, a year and a half and uh so whenever i get too high on my horse <laughs> my wife reminds me about the time that uh i made her live in a uh, one bedroom studio apartment in statesboro georgia and uh we got really close during that time, even closer than we have been the last five, six weeks here under quarantine. But um, um, so that's how I got to Georgia Southern. And uh, that, you know, I can't thank those people enough. And I still have a lot of great friends who work there, who have worked there. And uh, I tell people a lot that what I did at Georgia Southern prepared me uh, for what I'm doing today at LSU. And a lot of people give me a you know, they kind of look at me funny, but the, the truth is Georgia Southern prepared me in a great way for what I do every day now. So years of improving your craft at, at Georgia Southern, at what point do you see the LSU job come open and say to yourself, I have a legitimate shot at getting this job, and how do you go about doing that? Who do you reach out to, and what is that process like? You know, um, I've been blessed, guys, as, as you are, to have a lot of friends uh, in this business and a couple of people I've leaned on multiple times and I'll never forget I got to Georgia Southern I did my first season in 2006 um, it was just the second losing season in the history of their program <laughs> they, they of course as many people know were known for their triple option attack Chris Blair shows up to call the games and a, and a new head coach shows up and says, we're getting rid of that old-fashioned offense. And uh, it was uh, a, a horrible season. Uh, so to say it was the debut, um, uh, I, you couldn't have written it any better. It was, uh, it was, I had a blast, but it was horrible. Because when your team that's accustomed to winning the way Georgia Southern was and is, you go three and eight and – the football team stinks, the coach stinks, popcorn is stale, parking is a disaster, the radio guy's a bum. I mean, everything associated with it is is not good. And I reached out to Tom Leach at the University of Kentucky, and I, I said, Tom, I read a story that when you were young doing high school games, you sent a letter and a tape to Kaywood Ledford and to your surprise, he sent back a detailed critique of what you did good and what you needed to work on uh, and gave you some pointers. Um, and I said, so I'm going to ask you, I'm, I'm going to be uh, uh, brave enough to ask you to do the same thing. And I'm going to send you some tapes and I'm going to send you um, uh, some of the stuff I did this year. And lo and behold, he, was, he paid it forward because he sent me back uh, probably a four-page note and I'll never forget one of the things he said I, I made a mistake doing, and I knew I had, was occasionally once we got inside the 50-yard line, I would, without thinking, say, you know, the handoff to Johnson, and he's up to the 23. And I would know it when I did it. And Tom kept saying, if you're, if you're inside the 50, you're not going up, you're going down. 
And he said, I noticed that on a couple of your tapes. And uh, so if it happens, it, I, I can't recall it happening in a long, long time. But when it happens, you better believe there are bells and whistles <laughs> go off inside my head um, because of that. Um, but anyway, the other thing he told me was you're going to get opportunities at the ne- in the next couple of years for other jobs to open. Remember, if you're not interested or you don't know about a job or you don't know if you'd like being in a certain place, you still may want to apply for the job because it may be the only true feedback. And and who knows, you may end up wanting that job. But beyond that, it's probably the only true feedback you're going to get. Because if your fans like you or your team's doing well, you know, people either A, don't say anything, or B, they, oh, man, we love you, we listen all the time, or, you know, my wife listens all the time. They'll tell you that, which is great. There's nothing better than that. Um, but it's hard to find somebody to really look at you and go, hey, man, you know, you need to work on this. You don't give the score enough. Um, if you listen for a long period of time, it's almost if you don't know what game you're following. Um, you just don't get that a lot. Um, so... I, I kind of took his advice. So, you know, I think when, to, to answer your question on when I felt like it was time to, to, to apply for a job, is I had went through some pretty big searches in the first three years I was at Georgia Southern and learned an awful lot uh, about where I wanted to be, uh, the type of school I wanted to be around, um, the part of the country I wanted to live, and... Um, you know, I always took the, the, the motto, and this is something my dad told me, I'm interviewing them as much as they're interviewing me. So Tom's advice to apply for those jobs really paid off because I probably did apply for five or six jobs during the 10 years I was at Georgia Southern. A couple I didn't get, a couple I turned down. And so by the time I got word that LSU was looking for somebody, which would have been in my ninth season at Georgia Southern, I'm more than felt like I had the ability to do the job. Now, whether I was the right fit or not, that's not up to me. Um, but it was, I think, again, late February when Jim Hawthorne re- announced that he would do one more season of football. And I was in Monroe, Louisiana with Georgia Southern basketball and um, applied when I got back on Monday. And I'll never forget, Wes Durham told me, he said, if you want to go somewhere where they still think radio is important, he said, LSU, they st- radio still important to LSU. It's still important to the New Orleans Saints, as big as the NFL is, um, and as many platforms as you can you know, take in sports. Um, so that's, uh, that's kind of when I felt like I could, I could at least apply for the job. I didn't think I'd get the job, um, but, but I certainly felt like I had, you know, had the ability to apply. And I, and I think you learn a lot about whether or not you can get the job or not. Uh, I think by applying and, and, and testing the waters, uh, I tell people all the time, regardless of industry, if they're interested in another job, I think you should apply because you'll find out where you're deficient. You'll find out where you need to improve. And sometimes when you get lucky, uh, they don't see those things and they hire you anyway. So, Chris, what is the interview process like at LSU? Do, do you have to audition? Do you have to do a football game off of a TV? We've heard stories like that where you've had to call games off of you know TVs just to audition for a radio network. And, and I'm sure you have to interview with countless people in administration, coaches, sports information staff. What is that, especially a job like LSU, that's got to be a pretty big interview process? 
Yeah, it was, uh, I, I want to say, like I said, in February, uh, and you just, I sent uh, probably about a five-minute uh, excerpt from a Georgia Southern Georgia Tech football game, which was one of the more exciting ones I'd ever been a part of. Um, Georgia Tech ended up winning in the final two minutes of that game, but Coach Willie Fritz and LSU, uh, I mean, the Georgia Southern, rather, really should have won that game. But uh, So I took a five-minute excerpt, which was basically a kickoff to a touchdown uh, without any editing. Uh, did the same thing, probably a two-minute uh, sample from basketball that was totally unedited, uh, and then I think a half-inning of baseball. And put it on uh, MP3, sent it off along with my resume, and uh, – I got a notification that, yeah, we got your stuff. Thanks for applying. We'll be in touch. And uh, being in touch meant about three and a half, four months <laughs> of, <laughs> of nothing, uh, which is kind of typical. Um, yeah. And I think it was somewhere before Memorial Day uh, of that summer, this is uh, 2015, that uh, I got a call and said, hey, would you be able to come to Baton Rouge for two days? Uh, and I said, yes. And um, um, at that point, came down for two days, flew in, I think on a Sunday night, um, and was here uh, Monday and I think early, a half a day Tuesday. And, you know, part of that, and, and that was the only demo I sent. I just sent the, uh, the demo, like I mentioned. Um, and after that, came to campus. Uh, met with Les Miles, who was the football coach. Uh, met with Johnny Jones, who was the basketball coach. Met with Paul Maneri, who was the uh, baseball coach, is the baseball coach. And then a group of uh, a committee put together by the athletic director, which uh, included um, uh, some radio folks from from the flagship station, uh, included uh, uh, you know some upper administration uh, from the athletic department. And that was kind of a, you know, sit down, rapid fire question and answer uh, session there. And, um, you know, that was, a, that was a good day and a half of kind of going through a gauntlet, uh, which was similar to the other things that I had done before. Um, so that was, you know, to be honest with you, looking back on the interviews I've done, that's kind of ha has how my experience has been, at least from the Power Five standpoint, is usually a day and a day and a half, um, usually a... Uh, let your hair down dinner, so to speak, just to kind of get you to get to know you as a person um, and, uh, you know, in a social setting. And uh, and then you get to campus and typically they run you through the, the car wash, as we like to say, um, with typically your coaches. And, I, you know, I thank LSU for putting together the, the coaches um, because those, whether or not I had gotten a job, it was really kind of interesting to sit for 30 to 45 minutes with, with those head coaches in their offices um, you know, you can learn a lot about a person by being in their office and seeing the way their office is put together. Um, and that was it. And I left on, I think, a Tuesday around lunch, a little after lunch, and flew back to, to South Georgia. And um, then I got a call. So that was, what, early June. I got a phone call, I think, around the 19th, 20th of June. And uh, the athletic director called my office and said, we'd like for you to come to Baton Rouge and be the next voice of the Tigers. And I said, I'll be there whenever you need me. Tell me when. And uh, so that's how, the, that's how the process went. You know, I think, there's, I think the, the hardest part in, the, in searches and talking to people who've been involved with them is, 
you know, these jobs are going to attract a hundred, you know, hundred plus applicants. And, you know, most of the people that I know that have been involved in this, um, to their credit, they, they go through those. Um, and I think that's important, uh, that when you put together your stuff, you want it to be your very best because I, I don't have any doubt whatsoever that somebody involved in that hiring process is going to listen to that demo. And it may only be the first 35, 50 seconds. And, and a lot of times, at least in my experience, uh, I can tell you if I like somebody or not in the first 30 seconds. Um, but they're going to listen to it. So put your best stuff there because uh, I think that, to me, will get you in the conversation to probably getting a visit. You know, if the demo's no good, you got no shot to have a visit. Uh, but if the demo's good, you may be surprised that um, you may not be, you may think you're not qualified for the job, uh, but if you're doing good work and you put together a good presentation, uh, we all know in this day and age that's most important, whether it's social media, television, or radio, these universities want to put their brand in the best light possible. And if you're somebody who can do that and uh, can convince somebody of that in the first 30 to 45 seconds, you got a shot for them to bring you to campus and, and at least have a conversation. And, you know, uh, my experience always has been if you can get in the door, um, you know, then it's up to you to make it happen. Let's dive into some football radio play-by-play. Uh, first of all, with preparation, what does your spotting board uh, typically look like? What do you like having on there? And then if you could just take us through the week of how you prepare for a Saturday LSU football game. Uh, my spotting board, I'm, uh, I was not gifted with penmanship at all. Uh, my writing pretty much qualifies me to write prescriptions. That's about <laughs> it. Um, so I, I decided way back when, uh, even at, I guess when I got to Georgia Southern, um, that I was going to try to come up with a digital manual hybrid, so to speak. Um, I didn't want to type in everything. Uh, what I wanted to do was, was lay out on a spreadsheet the basics. So we, we got together and with the, you know, designed a, a basically a two deep. Um, we, we toyed at times with trying certain positions three deep. I think I've got tight end at three deep, um, but it just become the boxes get too small. So I, I, I decided for college that we'd go with two deep. And, and then I wanted to be able to put number, name, hometown, height, weight, uh, and, and, and their stats all so I could digitally put it in. I don't want to have to write six one one eighty five because nobody, including myself, three or four days later, may be able to decipher what I've written. Uh, so I, I, I go from the Joe Friday approach of just the facts I usually have in computer mode. Um, and uh, I've got a pretty good software that, um, you know, I don't, I don't get paid to push it, um, uh, but it, it, it's a lifesaver. And when you're doing three sports like I do, and you hit that time of the year when they collide uh, in November, sometimes December, and then again, uh, baseball and basketball in February and March, um, it's, a, it's a lifesaver. So that's kind of my basic. So every Monday I'll go in and basically make sure all the stats are updated uh, from the previous game. Uh, and any major accomplishment uh, will also be, I'll, I'll type in on the board. So if Justin Jefferson against Oklahoma had four touchdowns, I'll actually type in his box, uh, you know, Peach Bowl and FBS playoff record for receiving touchdowns in the first half. Um, so that type of stuff. 
um, and and then align the two deep. I'll go in and make sure I got both teams. Typically, we'll get the two deep on Tuesdays, uh, sometimes Mondays, um, but for me, most of the time it's Tuesday, and uh, which is, as you guys know, subject to change. Um, but I, at least by Tuesday, if I'm putting the names and blocks in position, it's easier for me on a Thursday or Friday to switch somebody out once I've got the entire board made. So I try to have the entire two deep made on Tuesday from a digital standpoint. Um, and then uh, I'll go back in the, and I leave you know, spaces in the margins up left and right and down across the bottom and across the top. I like to handwrite stuff in uh, colored Sharpie, different colored ink. So I've got you know, red, green, black, uh, dark and royal blue, um, you know, just a number of colors. And those are just little pieces that I might find in the game notes that I'm reading Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh, it may be something that I heard at practice. Uh, you know, if, if Coach Ensminger, if I hear him say something to the effect of, we're going to have to run uh, warp speed offensively against Auburn or against whoever to try to wear them down, um, you know, that's something that up in the margin, I'm just going to simply write, you know, Coach E wants to run, you know, no tempo early in game. Um, and, and so there's, so it's kind of a mix. If you've ever seen my spotting chart, it's, it's basically a, a nice put together digital number name. The, the last name is highlighted in bold. And then a bunch of little scribbly things around it that is added as the week goes on. So by the time we get to game day, there's not a whole lot of white space left on the board between what's digitally put on there and what I write. And they're large. They're 11 by 17. Um, and so they're, they're kind of cumbersome to, to get around with you on the bus and the plane. But once you open them up there in the, uh, in the booth, and I, I, I have two copies of each, one for me, one for my spotter. And Jim Nickel is – been spotting for a long, 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 long time. He's a very well-known uh, figure here in the state of Louisiana, and he's one of the nicest guys in the world. And if he wasn't there, I don't know what I'd do on Saturday. Uh, so I love him and uh, don't know what I'd be without him. But he usually holds defense on his side. For example, for Florida, he'll have Florida's defense in front of him. I'll have LSU's offense in front of me. Um, typically, he only helps spot uh, defenders, uh, typically not offense. Uh, and then, of course, when the ball changes, we just flip. I'll go Florida offense. He'll take LSU defense. And so that's kind of the choreography uh, that we've worked out uh, in the booth. And uh, it's, I'm usually done and ready to print the board Thursday night, Friday morning. So if I'm, if I'm not ready to print at that point, then I'm usually upset with myself because I like to have the hay in the barn before we even uh, head to the airport. And then in terms of your on-air delivery, uh, calling an LSU football game, what are the most important bits of information that you always want to convey? Just what's your overall strategy for making football on the radio sound as crisp and clean as possible? Well, it's, it's, there's no real fancy thing to it. It's uh, uh, time and score, uh, which you all heard uh, time and time again. And it's you know, my dad used to say, uh, when I started doing the games for, for high school, he would say to me, you need to say the time, inning, if it's baseball, and score. Uh, just when you think you've said it enough, you haven't. You haven't come close. 
And uh, so I've kind of, you know, I've always tried to abide by that. Um, I, I think that's important um, because it also tells the listener why your voice is in a certain way. Uh, and what I mean by that is the inflection that you're giving um, probably right before kickoff is going to sound a lot different than with 38 seconds to go in the second quarter before halftime. Obviously, it's going to sound a lot different than, you know, in the fourth quarter in a tight game. So, you know, I think always giving somebody the time and the score lets them know this is why we sound like this is do or die on this particular play. Uh, I'm not one. I get accused of it all the time, and I readily admit it. I'm probably not the biggest homer. Um, and, you know, I, I sometimes, to be honest with you guys, I have conflict with myself about that because sports and power five sports and obviously pro sports are covered on every medium. You can watch games on television. You can watch them on your tablet. You can watch it on Twitter. I mean, there's so many ways to consume it. What is it about radio that continues to draw people in or what's the only chance radio has to draw people in? Um, and for me, I think it's that it's the only place that a fan can go that the fan gets their version of the game. Um, you know, I, I, I'm like you. I think that some of the TV broadcasters, I love to watch and listen. And then I listen to fans talk about how, well, this one's biased or this one's that. And, you know, it's like, no, they're not. <laughs> None of these TV guys are biased. They're not pulling for this team or that team. They're there to provide a quality broadcast and give you the information. Um, but and, and so for radio, I think that's where you should go. You know, I want, as, as somebody who follows teams, I go, when, I, when there's a big game on, I'll go to the radio. I'll find it on TuneIn because I want to hear my guys, you know, elated when things go well, and I want to hear them, you know, so we can commiserate together when things are going bad. And to me, radio still has that, the team radio concept. So I'm conflicted because I, I love a homer. I, I love to listen to a guy who's fired up about his team. Um, but to me, I, I, I've always come from the school that there's obviously, we hope LSU fans listening, uh, occasionally because they're stuck in a car or they're in a position, even the opposing team's fans have to listen to us for whatever reason, a handful. Uh, and then you've got a national audience because LSU, every game, just like at Alabama and just like at Florida, you know, you're on satellite radio. Again, you're on tune in. There's so many platforms that. Um, you also could be on, you know, a station like WWL that you could be in South Carolina and, you know, hit 870 and suddenly there's an LSU game. And because of that, in the back of my head, uh, I'm not the biggest homer. Um, uh, I, 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 I think there's enough inflection in my voice that fans know within 20 seconds if LSU's doing well or LSU's doing bad. I think just by the tone, by the cadence, um, and by the emotion, they're going to know if things are going well or if things are going bad. Uh, so from that sense, I think I do that. Uh, but as far as, you know, liking other teams, you know, uh, getting too big on your team uh, and too critical on the team they're playing is just something I, I just don't do. Um, uh, I don't like to get on to officials and, in any sport, and I certainly, just like myself, have made tons of mistakes over the years. I've seen officials make horrible mistakes. Um, we always tell their names before the broadcast because they're paid to do a job. And because they're paid, I think their names should be out there, just like the coaches and just like the players. Um, 
Typically, if there's a bad call, I'll rely on the crowd to tell the story without me having to say it. For example, there's a foul in basketball, and immediately the Boo Birds come out at the O'Connell Center. I, all I got to say is, coaches living on the sideline, the Boo Birds are out here in Gainesville. I basically told you that not everybody agreed with that call of the official. If it's at LSU, I'll basically say Will Wade cannot believe that whistle came out. The crowd is becoming unhinged, and boy, these guys are under a lot of fire. I basically told you what happened is that that's a bad call. Um, was it? I don't like to get in with the right call or the wrong call. Bad call, because if it's unpopular, it's a it's considered a bad call. Um, so anyway, I don't want to ramble off into the weeds, but I, I just kind of like. At the end of the day, if somebody lands on an LSU broadcast, they may not like the fact that LSU is is beating a team 60 to 15. Uh, they may be bored that, wow, Joe Burrow has absolutely wore this team out. Ain't much of a game here. But I don't want them to say, wow, boy, this sounds, whew, listen to these yokels. Um, you know, listen to these yahoos go on about the refs and, did he really say that about the other team's coach? I, mean, I just – that's what I don't want to have happen. And I want people to who are not LSU fans, who are not SEC fans, who just happen to be stuck in a car and dialing through the satellite radio, land on a game and go, this is worth listening to. I don't even know who's playing. Don't even care. This is, this is exciting. It's a close game, and these guys are into it. And um, that's – so I've always been mindful that there's an LSU fan base that I need to, to – um, appeal to but there's also a wider audience um because the last thing i want to have happen is you know the president of our university or our athletic director or any of our staff uh, go somewhere and somebody go boy i was listening to the radio the other day <laughs> those guys whoo man um because we represent you know uh we represent something much bigger than ourselves we represent you know a, a state institution a, a respected state institution so I don't think I'm over homerish, but I think I'm enough. And I consciously try to make sure that I'm not going over the top. Uh, doesn't mean I don't get excited when Clyde Edwards-Alaire carries a couple of Crimson Tide defenders into the end zone in the fourth quarter. Um, I, I will get excited. Um, but uh, and the same thing against Florida. Uh, you'll hear me get excited. But uh, I try not to go too over the top um, just because uh, I think I think there's a bigger audience that you're trying to – trying to entertain yeah and that's the same discussion roger we had in episode number one and we have the same thoughts about it it's closer to 50 50 for a home radio guy than maybe you'd think but chris uh description wise what's a good balance for you there's two ends of the spectrum when it comes to radio you, know, you have the kevin harlins of the world who, who really go in depth in description um where are you what's a what's a good balance in terms of doing it right and overdoing it well, I don't. I don't try to do. I, I, you know, I don't know that anything's overdoing it. I enjoy listening to Kevin and those like him. Um, yep. You know, and 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 get entertained sometimes when, uh, you know, I go through the entire list of words and go, oh, that. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, I get it. You know, um, it's just not my style. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier Joe Friday. Um, I've always considered my job, whether it be on the high school games at Georgia Southern or at LSU is to tell you the who, what, when, where. That's my job. Uh, Doug Morrow, who knows more football than, than I'll ever know, um, 
who handles color with us and has both radio and television uh, analyst experience, I need him for the why. And, you know, when I get, when I catch myself trying to be too much of a wordsmith and explain something, uh, when basically I, I feel like my job is to tell you who had the ball, where it went, what direction it went, uh, so that you can see it in your eye, in your mind's eye, and then you know who made the tackle and what's the next play. Uh, if it was a gain of seven, then it's going to be second down and three. Now you've gotten all the information, um, and and usually somewhere every other play, I'll add. There's 3:47 to go in the second quarter, uh, with LSU leading seven to three. Then I shut up, and then I need Doug Morrow and Gordy Rush, who also played at LSU, who spent a lot of time with the coaches and players. I need them to, to add truly color to what we're doing. Um, so for that reason, I've never been one that wants to go through and, and you know use the thesaurus and, and try to figure out what alliteration I can put together. Um, you know, so I'm, I, I like to describe it. If there's something out of the ordinary, I think it's it's your job to explain. Uh, you know, I know there's been times where you know running backs have busted through the line. They get to open field. But when they, when they went through the line, they had their head down, they were leaning so far ahead that once they get open field, they basically tackle themselves because they're off balance. Um, I think that's a play-by-play's job to, to explain why the guy fell by his lonesome, you know, in the middle of the field. Um, but typically on plays, I'm not one that likes to, you know, uh, dress it up with a lot of words. I'm, I'm kind of the, just the facts. Um, the who, what, the when, where, and now I'm going to hand it off to Doug and Gordy, and they're going to tell you the why, and then we're going to come back and do it again. I am big fan, as I said, of of those talented people who can put all those words together. Uh, I've heard some young people uh, try to do that, emulate that, and what I find sometimes is it takes away from what they were trying to describe. You got to be really good at doing it, uh, and you should know if you're really good at doing it because if you're not really good at doing it. I think you do a disservice because people can't – you're talking so fast, you're trying to put so many words in that suddenly people get a muddy picture of what you just said because they don't know what you said. Um, so I think there's a fine line, as you put it, to, to being able to, to do that, do it successfully, and do it effectively, and, and then the guys like me who just – I'm going to tell you the meat and potatoes and uh, rely on other people to tell you why it happened. Um, because if, if you're saying too many words in a row, it's, I've, I've, you know, I've done it as a listener. I've sat there and go, okay, wait a minute. That, see the, uh, I have to put it together. And um, mm-hmm. radio and sports move too fast. That I just I don't want to have to put it together. I just want to hear it, picture it, and go. But uh, there's people out there who can do it very effectively. But as a rule, if you can't, don't. Right. And – for you, it's interesting because you have one of the jobs where, where you have football, basketball, and baseball. And in a way, the, the tempo is much different, of course, football, basketball, as opposed to baseball. And for you, uh, how do you make that adjustment? Because you almost have to throttle down a couple of steps when you go to baseball, and it's more of a storytelling medium. Uh, for you, how, how different is that when you make that jump from, from basketball to baseball? It's got to be an adjustment. That's a great question because – my time here at LSU, that was my biggest adjustment. Um, uh, coming from football, uh, basketball, which I think is the highest paced game. Uh, it's a sport that I know very well um, uh, and, and handle pretty well as far as speed goes. 
uh, football is just the moving parts. There's so many moving parts uh, that that creates the challenge there. And then, as you say, you get into baseball, and then you really become – it gives you the time to be more of a wordsmith, and you have the ability to kind of wrap in a little more description into the game and have conversation. And for me, that first couple of years, you know, you're running football, you're running basketball, you get to baseball, and it's like you got to slam on the brakes a little bit, breathe a little bit, uh, and then get, as you, you, know, you put it very well, into the kind of the groove pace of the game. And uh, so I think that was my biggest challenge because, you know, baseball is so big at LSU uh, as it is at Florida and, and golly, Alabama's guys were putting a baseball season together before this hit. <laughs> <Sure>. um, <laughs> but, you know, you got fans that, that are, are engaged into that sport. So it's you, you got to do a good job because if you don't, you're going to hear about it. You know, I get asked all the time, how many people do you think actually listen to a baseball game? And I usually respond with, well, why don't I use a four-color word and see how long it takes before somebody walks into this booth and Twitter explodes? There's a lot of people listening. Um, so I, 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 like, I like the pace, but I had to learn how to do it. Um, you know, and I'm blessed because I've got former baseball guys who love to sit around and tell long and colorful baseball stories, you know, when you're sitting at the restaurant or sitting on the patio. That's what they love to do. Um, so it helped me a lot because – you know, I'd be in there ready to go, you know, and here's the first pitch, you know, and, be in a, and you know, Doug Thompson, who does the games with me, would then break into, you know, Chris, back in 2002, you know, Skip Bertman was in, and he'll start telling the story, and then I can take a breath, I can step back from the table um, and, uh, you know, kind of kind of get into the groove of the game because um, they are very different. And, uh, you know, I think for, for basketball, the key is, is – to use that thesaurus because plays happen so quick and it's such a succession of plays back and forth that if you say the same words over and over, uh, pull up jumper, if you say that three times in a row, um, even that average listener is going to pick up on that. So I think you need to be, you know, you need to come up with a wide vocabulary for the actions of the game. Um, same thing to a certain degree for football, same thing to a certain degree for baseball. Uh, but when you, you know, Sometimes you can make the old baseball uh, historian upset if you start trying to get too fancy, uh, you know, with, with description of baseball. They like – you're not reinventing the wheel when it comes to radio uh, broadcasting for baseball. So just do what the, do what the tried and true uh, uh, framework has been for years. But it definitely takes a, a different pace. But um, I'd say by a week weekend, too, we're – we're, we're pretty much in, 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 in sync. When you're the voice of a program like LSU, obviously there's all the play-by-play for the different sports as well, but another aspect of it is everything that kind of goes around the broadcast and specifically interviewing coaches. And during the course of the year, you interview Ed Ogeron a lot during the week, Will Wade a lot, pregame, postgame, coaches shows, TV shows, whatever it may be. How do you keep all your interviews with coaches fresh and still any tips you can kind of give us and how you approach a lot of those interviews? And a lot of times you're asking maybe the exact same questions or you're bringing up similar topics to what you just had in the postgame. Now all of a sudden it's a coach's show and you still got to keep it fresh and interesting. My grandfather gave me advice a long time ago. He was a very successful insurance agent. And he always thought I should go into insurance sales because like him, I love to talk. 
and he told me, he said, when you're, when you go to your job to sell insurance, you must listen twice as much as you talk, which for me as a young man, I thought was funny because he talks all the time. He's always got stories. He's talking and, um, but it's true. And what I found working with coaches specifically, if you will listen at least twice as much as you talk around a coach that is on the bus at shoot around at practices, um, not, not anything in confidence, obviously, but just stuff that, you know, he may say to you, um, if you, if you pay attention to that, it will help you stay fresh each and every time you see him, even in a basketball season where you play two games a week. And it seems like you're interviewing Will Wade every other day, uh, between his weekly coaches show between each game, pregame and postgame. Um, but if you listen to coaches, they will tell you, because coaches never stay the same. You know what I mean? They have a structure they work in, but they're constantly trying to fix something new or they're trying to add a new piece to the game or weaponry or something of that nature. And if you'll just listen, it will help you, you know, each time you do an interview. And, uh, again, you have to be – you have to have the relationship with the coach that – uh, I'm lucky. Our coaches say whenever you want to come to practice, come to practice. You know, you don't you don't need to be there at the start if you want to come in. As long as, as long as you're quiet, you can just come in, watch 15 minutes or so, uh, watch the defensive section, and if that's what you want. Um, and by doing that uh, and being locked into where the coaches are, you can you can then you know uh, you have to be you have to be careful. Sometimes you'll have to word it in a way that sounds really wide and obvious as opposed to, Coach, I saw in practice yesterday you really wanted so-and-so to do so-and-so. Um, you, you know, you'll word it in a way that is, you know, Coach, I know one of the things you've been big on players is being more efficient with time. You know, when they're on the floor, they've got to contribute rebounds, points, whatever the case may be. And you'll be shocked at how many times you'll see the, you'll see the coach go, wow, Chris is paying attention. I'm going to expound on this. And he'll um, – it, it, it's it's – I've found that coaches – really do appreciate when you are engaged with their program and you're paying attention. Um, and, and because of that, when that sparkle goes off in their eye, that, um, then they really want to talk about it. And a good example was this year, LSU had won, you know, uh, the, had the win streak in basketball, you know, the, the best since the 80s. Um, got off to a good start and then, you know, kind of sputtered and had lost four or five games in a row. And it was all defense. LSU was scoring 80-plus points a game. If you win, if you score 80-plus points a game, you should win. Um, they scored 90 points against Mandy and lost. They scored 90 points against Auburn and lost, all on the road. Um, and most people tell you if you score 90 points more times than not, you won the game. So it was all defense. And they went through a week of defensive practice that I went to that was relentless. I, I mean, I was so worn out sitting there watching the guys because it was nonstop, nonstop. And one of the keys he was saying was that in transition defense, LSU was going to the free throw line in the paint. And he said, you're giving them all the options. They've got a transition three. They've got you coming out late to defend, which then is going to free a guy on the block. I mean, it was, it was all about starting the engagement of defense three to four feet beyond the three-point line in transition. Slow them up. So we go to the pregame for that next game, and I literally said something to the effect of, Coach, teams have had success, especially in transition, you know, getting the shots they want. 
Uh, I know it's been a, a key point for you guys to try to stop that and engage the defense closer to the timeline. That was the only question I had in the pregame. I mean, our pregame interview runs about five minutes, and Coach gave a detailed description of how they were going to try to stop that specifically to the team we were playing that night. Um, so that's just an example. But I think if you listen to your coaches, they will tell you where to go. And if you pay attention, you can continue to stay fresh in the questions that you ask them because typically they've got areas of focus that they add each week as the season goes along. So uh, we're in a business where we're told to talk. Sometimes it's best to listen. And final one from us, Chris, and I think this is a good way to cap it. Uh, favorite road venue to call a game in the SEC? <laughs> I, I know it's got to be the Swamp, right? <laughs> Come on. Oh, man. Uh, you know, what are you guys looking for? The one I enjoy the most? <laughs> the one that is uh, challenging the most? Um, Maybe loudest, no... just toughest environment? Uh, oh, it, uh, it's going to be the Swamp. Um, there you, know, you go. And I, and I credit the Gator fans. I mean, I, I was there in 2013 when Georgia Southern beat Florida and didn't complete a pass. And on our way out of the, the, the stadium, there were a lot of sad Gator fans. You know, they were all good to us. Sure. They, they, <laughs> yeah. they, had, they had thanked us for uh, maybe putting the final nail in. Um, uh, but, you know, I've been there since with, uh, with LSU, and that's, that's the swamp that people know. You know, that's – that's what gave it its its uh, notoriety. I mean, it is loud. You know, we were there. Uh, you know, the LSU played Florida in a tight game after Tom Petty's death, and we were there for that. Uh, I guess really ceremonious uh, Tom Petty thing, uh, a Tom Petty honor. You know, going into the fourth quarter, and and you know, as somebody who you know doesn't pull for Florida, let me put it that way. Um, you know, it was it was. You know, you couldn't help but get wrapped up in that moment. That was something. I mean, to watch that type of, of crowd get into it that much. And, uh, you know, when they're into it, they're, they're into it. So, and uh, it's conditions can be tough, you know, calling a game in there. It's, it's hot. It's muggy. And, uh, you know, they don't, it, by design, they don't roll out a, a welcome carpet <laughs> for, uh, for, for opponents, which, you know, good for them. Um, so yeah, I think I think from that standpoint, that's a tough place to to do our job. Um, people are great, but it's just it's just tough. Uh, you know that's why it's that's why they won as many games as they have there. Um, you know Texas A and M is challenging. Um, you know it's much better than it used to be because you you know the building doesn't sway as much. Uh, but man, you are up there. Yeah, you are up there, and the angle at which you're up there is is challenging. So um, you know it takes me a little adjusting when we get there to kind of. I'm not a big fan of heights, but typically inside a building, it doesn't bother me. But it gets to me at, at uh, Kyle Field, which, oddly enough, but usually, you know, I, I, I sit real close to my my spotter gym and my color analyst, Doug, and I kind of feel anchored up there, uh, and we get through it. Um, you know, from an enjoyable standpoint, I like going to Tuscaloosa. I mean, it's similar to, to, to the Swamp in a lot of ways. Um, they make no bones about it. You know, we obviously, we wear team – uh, team gear uh, as part of the broadcast crew and you know sometimes I, I, I ride with the team from the hotel uh, to the stadium sometimes I drive separately and park and then walk and uh, <laughs> that's uh, that's uh, that, put it this way it's better to ride with the team um, <laughs> than, than make that walk except for the walk back this past year that may have been the most enjoyable two mile walk I've ever had 
uh, after a football game. Uh, but, you know, there's so many great venues. Um, golly, football-wise, I mean, those are the tough ones for those reasons. Um, baseball, I enjoy going to Arkansas. I think, you know, Bomb Stadium and the, and the renovations they've done there, it gives you that old-time classic baseball feel. I like what they've done there. Um, excited to see what Florida's new one. I saw the outside of it when we were there for basketball, but obviously um, hoping they they don't have the blue table in the face of the sun. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. I was I was snow blind after the first game I did there for baseball. Um, uh, other baseball man, Texas A and M. I mean, they uh, Blue Bell Park is is phenomenal to work in. Probably the best working space that we have uh, in, in the league, as far as I'm concerned. It's uh, frankly it's bigger than their football booth. Go figure. Um, but you got lots of room in there. Um, and then basketball. There's wow. You know, going back home to Rupp Arena. Uh, is always fun. Um, um, I like playing in Knoxville. Um, so, you know, that's, that's one of the things I'm extremely blessed and lucky to do is, um, you know, people ask a lot, you do football, basketball, and baseball, it's got to be a grind. And I'm like, no, it's, it's not a grind. I get paid to do it. Um, and on top of that, I get to watch some of the best student athletes this country has to offer compete. Uh, on a nightly basis in some of the coolest venues with some of the coolest student sections and, and crowd atmospheres in the country. Um, and usually got a pretty good seat doing it. Um, you know, that's changing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they're starting to move the, the, the broadcast teams of all around the place due to the VIP seating. But um, all in all, I mean, we got, we got really good seats. So uh, it's not a grind at all. It's, it's, a, it's a pleasure. And I'm, I'm really upset, you know, like so many that, that we didn't get to finish basketball and have March Madness. And and then I thought this year's SEC baseball race was going to be, you know, incredible. I thought there were a number of teams, um, a number, I mean, up the entire list right. that could have made a run to Omaha and win a title. So um, it's unfortunate 2020 didn't happen. And um, but, but I'm blessed, and hopefully we'll all be back to normal um, come September or somewhere shortly thereafter. Well, Chris, thank you so much for your time over this past hour, really going in deep on a lot of topics we're we wanted to hit on. Yeah, this is basically oh, it. But we, you know, I was just getting started. Oh, man. that's good. Right. But uh, right. we, we know we've taken a lot of your time, but we really enjoyed your uh, insights. And you're one of the best in the SEC and in Power 5 Broadcasting. So you're definitely one of the people we wanted to have on early on this show. And we just, again, thank you for all of your time. And uh, hopefully next time we see you, it'll be in Baton Rouge, Tuscaloosa, Gainesville at a game again. Well, you guys may not know it, but I'm very familiar with both of your all's work, and you guys do a tremendous job. Uh, and that's another great thing about this conference. You know, they say it, it just means more. Um, well, you can tell it means more because we've got veteran broadcasters who are Hall of Famers. Um, we got guys uh, who have been in their careers four, five, six years that want to be there someday. And then we've got some young broadcasters like you guys that mean that, you know, coverage of this this conference is going to be in good hands uh for for decades to come so it's a great idea for the show i've watched uh, the episode so far and uh, i'll continue to watch them so thanks for having me on thanks so much chris all Appreciate right it. big thanks to chris blair of lsu we'll be back next week with another edition of broadcaster hour and we're also going to stay in the sec we'll have another sec voice bob kessling voice of the tennessee volunteers will join us next week one of my big mentors in my career so we hope you can join us again next week at noon eastern here for broadcaster hour